I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, I, don't, I don't really see the population is, uh, as an issue because once your body is fully replaced, you don't have to keep the human form factor. Oh. Uh, I could be this big and be just yeah. fine and consume a lot less resources, a lot less power, and a lot less physical space. Also, we use a lot of our... Uh, land right now for food production and cattle and having a better stomach having a better circulatory system is going to vastly decrease or even eliminate completely the need for that kind of thing you're just saying you're saying exactly what i think this is exactly what i think hi and welcome to radio motherboard i'm adrian jeffries at its core transhumanism is about using science and technology to transcend our natural human limitations This could be as simple as putting a bridle on a horse in order to travel farther than you could walk, or as complicated as engineering the human skin to photosynthesize. As you can imagine, this very broad definition ends up drawing in a wide range of people. I was curious about how these transhumanists define themselves, so I went to a gathering at Soho House, a hotel and sort of urban country club here in Lower Manhattan. About 30 people had gathered to hear a talk by Zoltan Ishtvan, one of transhumanism's most prominent advocates and a columnist for Motherboard. He's running a symbolic campaign for president and recently concluded a cross-country tour. His campaign has a single issue, abolish death. Before the talk started, I asked one group, who said they weren't sure what transhumanism was, to try to define it. I would throw it in some aspect of changing genders, just from the name. I don't find the name to be... She she won. Yeah, defying the norm of what a human being means or transcending the human well, you've heard the being answer. or dynamic. No, I haven't heard the answer. Heard the I, swear, answer. I swear I haven't heard the answer. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, otherwise I have no idea. The concept of transhumanism crystallized in 1970 when an Iranian academic named Faridun M. Esfandiari wrote a book called Optimism One and changed his name to FM 2030 to reflect the year he believed many of his predictions about the future would come true. FM 2030 predicted, among other things, that the secrets of biology and genetics would be known and open source. He believed the nuclear family would disappear and be replaced by mobilia, or modular social communities that would pop up and dissipate after as little as a few days. He also believed in immortality and supercharging the human brain. When he died, he had himself frozen by the cryonics company Alcor. FM 2030 sort of was the guy that really sort of brought it about. And I'm sort of obsessed with his work because he was just like in your face about the whole thing. He thought that 2030 was like the time when the future would sort of happen. But he changed his name to sort of be in people's face to be like a fuck you. Like, you know, you're going to deal with the future whether you like it or not. And this was in the like, late 70s, early 80s when people were like, future what? You know, they, they, weren't, th- they weren't thinking about the future um, to a certain degree, and especially not the way we are now. And so FM 2030 really was the sort of, I would say, like the grandfather of transhumanism at this point. That's Gray Scott. He's a futurist and he looks like one with pale blue eyes and perfectly artificially colored silver hair. Transhumanism seems to span a lot of ideas from, like, cyborgs to nootropics to the singularity. 
and it feels like there are a lot of people in the room who are coming at it from different angles. Do you think everybody has something that they agree on? Like, what is the commonality that runs through all those different ideas? Um, you know, it's like when people say, what do you do? And I say a futurist. It, you can't just say futurist. You have to have, there has to be a qualifier after that. So there are lots of different kinds of futurists. There are corporate futurists. There are, um, and just like there are different kinds of futurists, there are um, different kinds of transhumanists. There are some transhumanists that want a utopia. That's their goal. They want no pain. I mean, I think David Pierce is, is one of those people. He, he wants to eradicate all pain. David Pierce is a British transhumanist who wrote a book called The Hedonist Imperative and co-founded the World Transhumanist Organization, now known as Humanity Plus. And there are transhumanists that want to live forever. There are transhumanists that believe in a cyborg sort of future. They, they're in love with that dystopian, I want to trade my body in to become a machine that spits fire and that sort of shit. And so I think what we can all agree on is that something is happening, that the future is happening. I have a friend... Um, She's a futurist, and she always says that the future is going to happen with or without you. And so we, we can make a choice to be active. You know, this is sort of the um, idea of either having a passive mind or an, an active mind. An active mind says that things will change because we just haven't gotten there yet. So that's, that's sort of the futurist mind. And I think everyone can sort of agree that something miraculous is happening on this planet right now, even if most of them don't know what it is. Zoltan Ishvan gave his talk, a wide-ranging speech about the possibilities of the future. So for those of you who don't know, and probably you all know, uh, transhumanism is uh, a social movement worldwide of a couple million people and growing really fast that wants to use science and technology to radically modify the human being. But I think one of the things that's really important is that it also wants to modify the uh, human experience. And uh, as I was talking earlier to a friend, that could be anything from virtual reality. It could be also just, you know, ripping off your arm and putting on a bionic arm. That's going to change what it means to be a human being. But anything when we're using radical technology and science to change ourselves is something that's going to be, um, I guess, quite transhuman and by nature. Not all transhumanists agree with me here, but I like to think of transhumanism as the number one goal being trying to conquer death. Um, some transhumanists, especially since it's growing mostly in the millennial category, would not say that. Um, they're more interested in machines and becoming a machine and some of these other cool experiences you can have. But for us older transhumanists, I'm not old yet, but I, I'm sort of in the middle, I guess. Um, conquering death is the number one goal for, for a lot of us. So uh, I have, for some of you who don't know, I've been driving, I just finished my tour a couple days ago, driving a giant bus that looks like a coffin across the country, <laughs> trying to raise awareness of life extension issues. There'll be one photo at the very end of that. But as a rule, most transhumanists, I'd say probably 60, 70% would agree that that's the number one goal is to conquer death through science and technology. And for those of you who don't know, a third of you in this room, sadly, will probably die from heart disease if nothing changes from today because about a third of people in the world uh, die from it. So when we're talking about transhumanism, one of the most important things if we're trying to conquer death and trying to extend lives is to work out a way that organs can live, that can sort of survive beyond the aging process. And one way that we can do that is just to outright replace them. So there's a company in France that last year has installed two hearts. It's called Tarmat. Um, it's some of the world's very first hearts that are not designed to have uh, be a replacement for a transplant, but are designed to actually give your body a brand new organ. And as I've uh, mentioned before, uh, artificial hearts are very interesting for a number of reasons. If you want to have wild sex, you can speed them up. If you want to meditate or sleep, you'll be able to slow them down. If you want to go surfing in giant waves or run marathons, they'll be conducive to that. For those of you who don't know, Jick Cheney constantly had a problem with his, uh, his uh, valve. 
he uh, had Wi-Fi in his, and when he would do speeches, he would ask sometimes to have it turned off because he was worried about hacking. So there is this, uh, there's a great future uh, of artificial organs, uh, and most people die from organ failure, but uh, there's also a very dangerous future in hacking. People around the world who were once deaf now have a cochlear implant, and they can hear some sort of sounds, and the sound is becoming better and better. And actually, they have some frequencies that human ears cannot um, hear at all. Uh, but this is the Argus II in front of you, and so if you're blind, for example, and there are about 80, 90 patients that have this right now in the United States, this ties to your optical nerve, so you can actually see um, through that, and it allows you to see. So if you're born blind, there's now a method to essentially give you sight. Now, it's not that uh, the sight's very good yet. It, you can, it's enough to navigate this room, and it's enough to navigate crossing the, uh, the street, not New York City, maybe, but um, somewhere else. Uh, and it's enough to navigate your home. But over the next few years, and especially over the by some people think, I guess the date has been pinned as 2027, that a bionic eye will be out commercially where people may start to electively replace their eyes. And there's a very good reason why is already these people that are wearing these can see uh, the microscopic kind of, they can see closer than you and I can ski. They see the telescopic vision is actually better than the human eye. But um, in the future, it's going to be far better than that. We're going to be able to see poisonous gases in the room, should that be something. We're going to be able to see germs on our neighbors. We're going to be able to, on our, you know, on the seats, might freak everyone out. But these are some of the things that uh, are coming with bionics and the technology that we have. Probably within the next five years, um, we'll have a lot of people uh, that will have robots for teaching their children school things and just kind of being a babysitter and opening doors and stuff like that. And of course, for other people in this room, uh, robot sex is certainly something that's really large on the future. And uh, I've uh, been doing a few articles on it, and it's amazing the industry that's expanding. I've recently introduced some, some um, robot makers work, and um, it's, it's very difficult to, at this point already to see the difference when a robot is still between a, a robot and a person. The, the, the contour, the skin, it all looks the same. Um, it's only when they actually act that they're a little bit behind, but probably in five years, there'll be a hard time to see a difference between a robot and a human being. One of the things that transhumanists discuss all the time, and uh, it, it's kind of this quasi-spiritual idea, is the singularity. The singularity is a moment in time when technology grows so quickly that our perception, our understanding of it transcends um, or, or, or becomes not capable of understanding. The, the concept of technology transcends our understanding. But I mention only because you're gonna hear a lot in the transhumanist uh, kind of lingo that's out there. And it's a word that nobody really can explain perfectly. It doesn't matter uh, who you are, but um, it's this moment in time when we use artificial intelligence to somehow reach a kind of a brand new form of, uh, I'd say communication, understanding, uh, just our experience in itself that will leave uh, our human understanding completely I suppose, in the past. And generally, most people think of it in terms of artificial intelligence. You can kind of think of the singularity as one million times smarter than any of us in this room. And that's where it's going. This is Ellie, a journalist from the Daily Mail, and Chris, another journalist. They said they came to the talk to learn more about transhumanism. Um, I think Zoltan said it better than I've ever heard it, which is mixing man and machine to stop suffering. What I got from it was just exploring what humans could achieve in terms of technology to kind of better the human body like physiologically um, and then I guess it's kind of like a broad spectrum from kind of the achievable to like a bit more like crazy science fiction-y stuff well some of it is just is a bit out there isn't it you know like you would I don't know you would yeah. see it in a film or something it would be like what 
that'll come on, guys. Like stuff that might happen in like two thousand, three thousand years. Who knows? You know. But then some of the stuff they're talking about is, seems to be a bit more like um, in the real world. But. Maybe if you could cure certain, like cure cancer, cure disease. But I don't. I think ending death is too far. Step too far. Yeah, I think like Zoltan's a good sportsman because he kind of like puts it in what seems like reasonable terms. But then you can speak to some people with these. They're a bit of, yeah. way ahead of, I think, what most people would be, so you're a bit kind of like, uh, it's a bit crazy, you know? The next person I talked to was someone who was very vocal during the Q&A period. Uh, my name is Keith Camito. My background is in computer science and mathematics, but you know, as I've gotten on a little bit in years, I've crossed over into biotech, working at the Citizen Science Lab GenSpace, and have more recently become a very passionate advocate for life extension research, because I think it's a very important thing for society to get behind. I think it's the most important immediate near-term thing, because I do think uh, medical interventions in the next 20 years or less can make serious inroads there, and that can be a good branching point to get people, the public at large, interested in more transhumanist concepts. If you start out with something like mind uploading, that can be very alienating. And I think it's at this moment when we haven't defined consciousness yet, it's a little bit disingenuous to preach that it's number one, 100% uh, possible, and two, 100% desirable. So kind of putting the cart before the horse in a sense. Are you afraid of dying? I wouldn't, I mean, yes, I think everyone who's alive and hasn't killed themselves in some sense is averse to death. Uh, I don't, I wouldn't consider myself fearful. Like, I think if there was a burning building or, you know, a terrorist situation, I would be the guy running into the situation trying to solve it rather than running away. But I think the better way to say it is that I really love life. And I don't think it should be a shameful thing to say that because you love life, you want to keep it going until, or defer the point, defer the decision to your future self to whether you still want to be around or not. What is the thing that unites all of these people? Like, do you find when you go to events like this or talk to other people who identify as transhumanists that you agree with them on basic things? Or do you feel like some people in the room you agree with, other people you don't really feel like you relate too much? Well, I think some aspects of transhumanists do, you know, go a little bit ahead of the curve on things. I think what most transhumanists do agree about is... It's really about increasing choice for a freedom for what you are able to experience and how you want your life to be lived. For example, aging. One way that I think of aging is that it's a progressive limiting of your choices as a human being. You know, say you're a ballerina and for whatever reason, that's what you love to do. That's your passion. That, that's everything for you. It's very sad, I think, that at some point in time, Father Time just says, you know that thing that you love? You can't do it anymore. And I think removing that restriction is a good thing. Finally, I spoke to Derek Green, a friend of the organizer, who was sitting at the back of the room with his family. My youngest is 17, and they were sitting in the back row. I have a 17, 18, and a 20-year-old. And, you know, I want to stay around. You know, yes, I, I wouldn't say I'm an atheist, but I wouldn't say I'm a religious person. I'm a spiritual person. And I do believe there's something that happens after. Um, but if I have the option to stick around longer, I'd like to take that option. Um, after listening, I am interested, but one of the things that scares me about it is... Um, he sort of touched on it really briefly. We talked about the human rights of artificial intelligence, which I thought was really interesting. Um, but we didn't talk about the economic 
ramifications. How do we not have this class of people who are wealthy who can afford this technology and this class of people who are poor and dying who can't? And it's just human nature. Like, you just take simple as an Apple phone. You know, my kids, I can afford to get each of them an Apple phone. You know, not every parent can do that. So does that mean I can afford to have my kid, you know, jeans moved around to get what I want? So... That's the aspect that worries me. Do I think we shouldn't take this adventure because of those sort of things? No, it's not human nature not to. So, I don't know, that's sort of my takeaway. <laughs> Ask Derek how much of transhumanism seemed like philosophy versus science versus religion. I think it's a group of people, in a way, who are fearing just letting nature sort of take its course and, uh, you know, are trying to find ways to control that, which is our human nature to do. And I think. That's how we got America. That's how we made things. You know, I always say, what is it? My grandmother used to always say, um, desperate people invent things. Transhumanism is a big tent. For now, it doesn't really have to define itself, but there may come a day when it needs to pin down its precepts. Back in November, Motherboard wrote about a schism between Zoltan Ishvan and some members of the movement, including the leader of the UK's transhumanist party, M. Eamon Twyman. After a while, you have to start drawing practical lines and we have a party constitution that decides who gets consulted and what and blah, 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 blah. But it meant that there were a lot of very lengthy conversations online. Twyman was upset because Ishvan's statements were being taken to represent the entire movement. He was especially concerned that Ishvan was drawing so much attention to immortality, a subject not all transhumanists agree with. But at least right now, transhumanism is mostly fun. The event I attended felt like a philosophy club meeting where everyone was on the same side. That's our show. Please listen next week. We've got a special episode from Terraform editors Brian Merchant and Claire Evans about the year in sci-fi. If you're bored, until then, you can write us at letters at motherboard.tv. Thank you for listening to Radio Motherboard. Because if you think the, the LGBT movement was you know, controversial in the, in the, thing, in the histor- historical things that it fought for or the civil rights it fought for, the cyber rights is, is going to be uh, sort of like that, but so much more complex. And, uh, and, and not to take away anything from those movements, because I, we love those movements, and I've always been a big supporter of all those movements, but the era we're entering, um, there are transhumanists that want to be fish. Uh, what does that mean? You know, do you still pay taxes? Um, if you get married, is the government going to... Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.